0: I love hearing the buzz. Let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats. I wanna lift up the name of the Lord Jesus one more time in prayer, and then we'll get into this word. Uh, Father, Father, thank you for the gift of communion. Man, it's so sweet to be able to just see the faces walk down that aisle to partake of your, your, your ordinance. Father, I truly desire, and I think I can speak even for the elders, um, we desire that people encounter you today, and that um, as they encounter you, you would change them, whether that be through their hearing of your word, and you encounter them that way, or the singing of praises and they encounter you that way, or through conviction, or through the joy of the truth of the gospel, however you see fit to engage and encounter this people in this neighborhood, we ask that you would do it. Lord, when we prayed this morning, that the city blocks would literally feel your presence, Lord. That was, that's our desire. Not for our glory, Lord. I don't care if they see the name on the flag. I care that they they see whom we represent. Whom we're sent to lift high. That if they encounter nothing and no one else this morning, they can say that they've encountered the Lord Jesus. That they've seen you, felt you, heard you. And in whatever spiritual way you desired, you have impacted them. Lord, we ask that not only for the block. We ask that for us in this place right now who are under the hearing and the singing of your word, we need to encounter you this morning because our weeks have been riddled with things that have pulled our eyes away from you. Oh, man. Some of us work so many hours, we barely have time to stop and pray. Some of us are caring for loved ones with such vigor and care and love and time that we don't have time to behold. Some of us are chasing our nephews and our nieces around. Some of us are running errands to help support families in and around us. But now, Lord, right here, right now, we get a chance to to invite you and ask you to, to be present with us. Lord, we desire that greatly. Would you be present? Fill us with your spirit. Give us joy for those who know you. And Lord, I ask for holy dread for those who don't that they may see what their sins have purchased for them and that they would make a beeline to the cross as the only means for their salvation. Lord, we thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. My name is Canaan Parker, one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. We're going to continue in our series of Galatians, so y'all can go ahead and open there. And while you're opening there, I want to bring up a song that y'all know. Feel free to sing it if you want. I will not sing it. I should have had Lee come up here and sing it. Y'all remember Father Abraham? Had many sons. And many sons? Had that boy Father Abraham, right? Yeah. His sons. I'm about to give you a mic, Doc. No, I'm playing. Right. Playing. Playing. We, we know this song, right? Put your right hand in. You know what I mean? It's, it's the holy hokey pokey. That's what that is. <laughs> That's what it is, right? It's the holy hokey pokey. That's a that's one of the staple songs in any children's ministry for generations to come, but one of our issues is, is that we see it as a cute song. Beloved, that's a theological masterpiece. That's, that's, a, that's a robust song with truth that people deny at their own peril. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons and daughters, y'all, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you, Right? That's that song is robust. There's power in those lyrics, but there's only power in the lyrics. If you understand the content from which it's derived and it's derived from our passage here in the book of Galatians. That song tells us and it tells everyone the true story of how God chose to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue and nation. Look at what the text says in Revelation chapter five, verse nine. It says, and they sang a new song. That's us, beloved. This is the song we sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased. You see that word right there? What did he do? He purchased a people. That's us for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everyone gets to sing that song. If you are the people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, you get to sing the father Abraham had many sons and daughters and I am one of them. And so are you. It's the truth of the text, beloved. Look at Revelation 7-9. It says, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from where? Every nation. Every tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they were singing praises to our God. The scripture says that no matter your age, your height, And most pertinently, in this section of Galatians that we're going to start today and finish next week, it doesn't even matter about what your ethnicity is. Father Abraham has many sons. This morning, we're going to be continuing in the book of Galatians. For those of you who are newer, I want to catch y'all up as to where we've been and where we're going to be today. In Galatians chapter 1, we saw that the apostle Paul was defending his apostleship. That's what he was doing. He was defending the fact that his words carry just as much weight as any of the other apostles' words. Beloved, even today, there are individuals in our communities who prescribe to a specific specific, religious fact. They belong to a religious sect that discredit what Paul has said. If you bring up Paul's teachings, Paul's theology, his doctrine, they will call you a follower of Paul, not a follower of Jesus. And guess what was happening in biblical days? Same thing. Ain't nothing new under the sun, beloved. If someone tries to discredit Paul, they're discrediting the, the very theology that, te- that, that Jesus instructed him. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle, Now, look what he says now. Not from men or by a man. But by who? But by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. From the very outset of the book of Galatians, Paul is leveling the playing field, saying, I am as authoritative as any of the other apostles. I wasn't selected by them. I wasn't selected by you. Jesus Christ selected me. This is what he said. Paul would not allow anyone to discredit the fact that he was a true, authoritative, hand-picked apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to defend his gospel. And he has an amazement at how quickly the Galatian churches are falling from their teaching. Look what he says in Galatians 1, 6 and 7. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Beloved, do you remember when we, when we walked through this text and we talked about the idea of betting on yourself as a means of your gospel? That's how you save you? That's how you redeem you? Beloved, I'm, am- I'm amazed as Paul is that we as believers in Christ so quickly turn away from the gospel. Many of us don't even preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Oh, it's going to be a long sermon. But beloved, what does Paul say here? not that there is another gospel but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ the galatians are in danger of turning their backs on Jesus because if you embrace a false gospel you em- you embrace a false savior mm. beloved That's right. If you don't accept the, the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus, if there's any other gospel that you ascribe to, whether it's in word or in deed, whether you say it with your mouth or not, you have turned your back on the only means of your salvation. Beloved, this is why doctrinal fidelity is so important. I'm glad they're having a good time. This is why doctrinal fidelity is so important. This is why. Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. Look what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor. He says, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage, right? It's not just some sledgehammer you hit over people's heads. You use the word to encourage as well. With great patience and teaching. But then look at verse three. This is where it turns. It says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. This is why we have to stick so closely to the text, beloved. So closely to the gospel, beloved. Because we read that and we think of people. No, I need you to read that and think of you. Because we are prone as sheep to wander. But the text says that we, in and of ourselves, will go to and fro, looking for teachers to satisfy our ears, beloved. That's why there's. That's why there's personality cult churches, where I need to hear it from this one particular person, not because that person is the shepherd of my soul that the Lord has appointed for me, but because that dude got the juice, and he says things the way I feel like I need to hear it. I need to. I want to. And you start jumping around from to and fro. No, beloved, that's not the standard. Is it biblical? Is the standard? That's the. That's the A one part. That's why Peter tells the diaspora, he says, but in your hearts, regard Christ as Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Peter's telling them, always have the gospel at the tip of your tongue. Always know it, always believe it, always preach it to yourselves, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Why? Because eternity is at stake for us. If we have a false gospel, eternity is not looking pretty for us. Justice and righteousness does not happen apart from the truth of the gospel. Everything has to derive from dead center, gospel. And then we fight for justice, we fight for truth, we fight for righteousness, we fight for whatever we're fighting for, but it has to have its centerpiece, its energy source in the gospel. That's where it has to come from. And if it doesn't, you're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because as soon as the culture changes, you change your methodology, you change the basis of your argumentation. Believing the gospel is key. You want to experience joy and freedom? Gospel is where it starts. There are men and women who snuck into the churches of Galatia, and they were successfully twisting and turning and swaying people from believing in the true gospel of Jesus, and they were believing a false gospel, one that would lead them to hell, one that promoted bondage, and that squelched joy. The gospel that taught that people are made right with God, primarily by three ways. This is what they were communicating. This is what they were teaching, that, you either, that in order to be made right with God, you had to be circumcised, you had to obey the works of the law, and or depending on the sect, you had to be a physical descendant of Abraham. You had to be ethnically Jewish. But remember, beloved, that father Abraham had many sons from all different tribes and tongues and nations. We may look at some verbiage for that later. This is an illustration of what was going on. It says, some men came from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, what'd they say? Come on now. Mm. But some of the believers, y'all see that? Some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep all the law of Moses. Paul takes great lengths to dispel these types of false truths in the book of Galatians. Paul takes the time to dispel the notion that we contribute anything to our justification. Remember what justification means, to be declared righteous right? Being made right with God. That's what justification means. When you hear that used theologically, it simply means that you're declared righteous by God. And we don't do anything to be declared righteous by God. You know that how you kept up with your, your Bible reading plan? Good on you. That doesn't keep you righteous with God. Remember when you fought sin and you resisted with everything you had and you didn't fall to the temptation? Beloved, you don't hear me clearly. Praise God. But not even that is what makes you justified in the sight of God. We are made right with God, not based on anything we do, not based on anything other than faith alone. Beloved, this is what Paul is arguing. This is what he's teaching. Look what he says in in, in Galatians chapter two. He says, now, now notice the we and they in here. He's talking about, Paul's talking about, we Jews, they Gentiles. Okay, that's how he's communicating. We Jews, them Gentiles. That's how the book of Galatians is laid out. Look what he says. We are Jews. Talking to Peter. This is when he confronts Peter. We are Jews by birth and not quote-unquote Gentile sinners, because remember, that's how they view the Gentiles, right? We're not Gentile sinners like them. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. You can put works of any sort in there. By works of any sort, no human being will be justified. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but guess what? Y'all need to hear that. Because we are striving. We're striving so that God is pleased with us. Constantly. We're guilty of it. All of us. I I need to be on God's good side. What? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are on God's good side, beloved. You're there. Most of our faith is recognition of who we are and what we are. Instead of believing the lies of what we're not from the culture and community. That's, right. That's most of the battle. Just know what we are already. If you already this, you don't got to worry and fight for that. you You good because Christ died for those who have faith in his name. you good with God. It doesn't mean you don't pursue holiness. We pursue holiness because we're good with God. Amen. We don't pursue holiness to become good with God. Mm. Subtle difference. But it means everything. Beloved, your salvation was initiated by God and your salvation, beloved as your salvation is maintained by God, not by you. His love for you is not contingent on your past dirt. His love for you is not contingent on your ability to keep his laws. And as we'll somewhat see this morning and next week, his love for you is not contingent on your ethnic lineage. It is by faith. So as we look in the book of Galatians, chapter three, y'all there? I want to discover the basis for Paul's argument that justification is by faith alone, which is his argument for chapter 2. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. So then, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Beloved, this is the first time we are clearly getting a picture at the basis of Paul's argumentation as to how and why we're justified by faith and not by works of the law. You've heard that, we've heard it said. Paul has even alluded to that. He said it earlier in chapter two, that we're saved and and he defends the gospel of grace that we're saved by faith. He says that, but now we're getting the basis. Here's the bottom line argumentation. Last Sunday, I took great pains to relay the biblical truth that God begins the work of change in us and that he brings it to completion. That's Galatians 3:3. And that God gives us his spirit. And what that means, beloved, when it says that God gives us his spirit, is that he's adopted us as sons and we are justified. What's the definition of justification? Being made right with God, right? And that we're made right with him by faith. Our example for this, I mean, Paul's example for this is. Father Abraham. Father Abraham is his basis for his argumentation. The question that should arise in your head is where in the Abrahamic story do we see a justification for salvation or justification by faith? I just noticed I I used the word justification in two different ways. Hold on. Where in Abraham's story does it lend credibility to to justification by faith? We good? Y'all understood the first time? It's the teacher in me, but forgive me, y'all. Where does Paul pull this from? Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. Y'all still with me? We looking at the book together? It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name Great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is Genesis, beloved. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot was with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now I want you to notice something from this text, beloved. Look at what verse four said. So Abraham went. That's an indication of Abraham's faith all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham, leave everything you know, leave everything you love. God ever told y'all to do that? Would you obey? Y'all see what he said. Go from your land, go from your relatives, go from your father's house. Everything you know and love, dip set. Where I'm going, Lord, I'm sending you to a place. I'm sending you to a place. I don't even know where I'm sending you. Don't worry, I got you. There's a land that's going to be good, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the man, many nations, all this good stuff is what he's saying. And then we read verse 4. So Abram went. Already I was like, okay, that's some kind of faith. He says, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Early promises by God. These are early promises by God. There was one problem with this promise. Abraham was old. How old was he here? 75. And Sarah was barren. How are you going to be a father of a whole bunch of nations when you old and she's barren? Genesis 15, 2 through 6, it says, but Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me? Since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, verse three, Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now, beloved, remember the term slave. Remember how Pastor Eric slayed that content about three, four weeks ago. Y'all go ahead and listen to that sermon. Don't think transatlantic. Okay, that's a servant in his home. he said, man, this this slave born in my house, he's going to be my heir. Now the word of the lord came to him this one will not be your heir instead one who comes from your own body will be your heir he took him aside and said look out the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them then he said to him your offspring will be that numerous and abram believed the lord and it was credited to him as righteousness beloved that's the anchor text for the apostle paul is verse six that's the anchor text right there but notice what god said god said i need you to believe the unbelievable that's what he said to him sometimes god calls us to believe the unbelievable and to walk by faith and your actions will demonstrate whether or not you're truly having faith in what god has said or called you to do or be second corinthians chapter 5 beloved in case you needed a refresher it says we walk by faith not by sight we have to embody that reality and that truth in our Christian walk. When we walk these blocks and these streets and we see people who are in need of the gospel of Christ, don't look at their situation and think, I can't reach them. Think no one's arms are too sh- no, uh, God's arms are not too short to find that individual. Depend on him. Don't look at the circumstances and be, and be, and be confounded. Look at the God who's sovereign over the circumstance. Nothing is too, we got to live by faith. And this is, oh man, I'm about to get on a tangent. This is one of my biggest things, even for me now, is I'm trying to realize I walk by faith, not by sight. Because when you walk by faith, you see God do amazing things. It's when you're hindered by what you see before you and the obstacles in front of you that you cower and don't move forward. But when you move by faith, you actually get the opportunity to see God act and work. How can you know that God does amazing things if you don't give him the opportunity to do amazing things? Which means the obstacle got to be big, too big for you to climb, so that you can't get the glory for scaling that mug. He had to lift you over it. But you only get that if you walk by faith. You don't get. You know the people said they say it was a God story. You don't get them by walking by sight. That's right. That's good. Your name goes in the paper when you walk by sight, Pastor E. That's right. That's, right. That's good. Your name. God stories happen when you obey that. When the circumstances are big and they're high and they're lofty and you can't climb it, you can't scale it. Nothing you can do. And then God goes, watch me flex, bro. You trusted me. That's how you get that. But we're so scared in America. We're so shook. We're so materialistic. We can't walk by faith. That's that's just called unwise. (laughs) Beloved, I'm not, there's no war against wisdom. God says, Wisdom is the beginning and not like like we need wisdom yeah. But beloved there are times when God is pushing you beyond the limits of wisdom Where he says no leave everything you know I got you I'm talking to you I'm communing with you right now Beyond a shadow of a doubt you know that I've called you to do it beloved now you just do it yeah. right. okay. mm. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes God is telling us that we need to trust his heart when we can't see his hands Sometimes that sounds cliche, sometimes that's exactly what we need to hear. I don't know where you are, but that's the truth of the text. Trust what he said and obey what he said, and just trust that he knows what he's talking about when he tells you to do that. Now we're going to see that Abraham ended up having a child with another woman. Did y'all know that? Sarah, his wife, Sarai, gives her slave to Abraham so that They can have some offspring. Now, God done already said, I got you. But they took matters into their own hands. And if you remember last week, that's an example of somebody being foolish and trying to finish in the flesh what God said he would finish by the power of the Spirit. That's an example of, well, God said it, I need to make it happen. But God said exactly how he's going to do it. No, you and your wife, y'all good. I got you. Look what he said in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, many years after the initial promise. And beloved, real quick, before we ascribe, Abraham had little faith in that moment. He was 75 when God first told him. He's 99 here. Okay, yes, that's a lot of years done gone by. If God tells you he's going to do something and you had to wait 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, you're going to be wavering too. Foolishly trying to finish in the flesh what God said he's going to do in the spirit. Because you're going to be like, oh, did I miss here? Y'all, there's so many sermons in this. <laughs> when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, and he's reminding him of something. Look what he reminds him. I am God Almighty, period. Y'all see that? He's like, yo, remember who I am first off. I'm God, B. I'm God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. It says, I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke, to, God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you, God says. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful, and will make, and will make nations and kings come from you. Then look at verse 7, beloved. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout the generations. It is a permanent covenant to be, uh, to be your God <clears throat> and the God of your offspring after you. Here is, my, uh, uh, here is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. Y'all see that right there? You must, be, you must be circumcised. You must circumcise your flesh of your foreskin and serve, to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Several months ago now, we had encountered the reality, and I said this, God is the one who instituted the concept of circumcision. And so when we see the Judaizers saying, in order to be God's people, covenantally, you must be circumcised. See, we read it with American eyes and we think, how foolish could that be? The circumcision doesn't put you as God's people. Duh. No, beloved. God said be circumcised. This is the sign of my covenant with you. And so they take that and they run with it and they say, beloved, you want to be in the covenant? Got to be circumcised. They have an argument. We see how and why these false teachers are saying what they're saying, because God commanded it. But beloved, they made a fatal mistake. And the fatal mistake was confusing the sign of the covenant with the substance of the covenant. That was the fatal flaw. The sign of Abraham's covenant was circumcision, but the substance of Abraham's covenant has always been faith. We see that from the very beginnings of his dealings with Abraham. It has always been by faith he believed and he went, he believed and he was counted to him as righteousness, not he was circumcised and it was right, he was righteous. He believed and he was made righteous. Paul didn't invent those words. Moses wrote it about Abraham. It's not new. It's old. Abraham's obedience was the fruit of his faith and his faith was the seed of his obedience. Beloved, I don't know if you know this, but all sin finds its root in unbelief. All sin finds its root in unbelief. It's when we don't believe that we disobey and and, and fall into the traps of sin. That's what happens. Let me give you some examples. We don't believe that God can or will satisfy our needs. So, what do we turn to? Name it drugs, liquor, sensual relationships, even getting into a dating relationship. God, I need to fulfill this thing. I ain't going to wait on you. I'm going to go get it and make it happen. Now, beloved, there's nuances to this stuff. Okay, this is overly simple. I'm slightly oversimplifying it simply to make the point. We don't believe that God will provide, and so what do we do, beloved? We lie on that tax form. We claim we have kids that we don't really have. We fudge the numbers just a little bit to make sure that we look like we're making just a little bit less so we can get just a little bit more from the government who took just a little bit too much. Beloved, we're guilty. And that stems from unbelief that God's going to provide for you even if you have the, the integrity to be honest about how much you really have and how much you've really spent and how many kids you really have. That's what we do. Because we don't believe that God will provide. We cheat and we steal because of that. We don't believe that God cares about me. And this is what I heard when I was in the juvenile detention system when I was uh, speaking to the kids. They don't believe that God cares about them. And so their response is, so why should I care about me? He doesn't care about me. My mama don't care about me. My aunties don't care about me. Why should I care about me? I'm going to go do what I want to do. It's lies, we believe, that leads to these things. And beloved, we don't believe that God justifies by faith alone. And so we work harder and harder and harder to accept God and appease God so he can love us. Unbelief is the stem root of everything. The problem is if we're working harder and harder to be accepted by God, we're washing in the mud, we're in spiritual quicksand, we're believing lies from hell. Beloved, unbelief is the stem and we get that from the book of Genesis chapter 3. All the way back in the garden when the first sin occurred, what happened? Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals of the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Took a stab right there, a dagger of doubt right at the heart of trust and belief. What was the result of that dagger? Sin. The unbelief led to action to disobey God. Did God really say, and that's what we find ourselves saying, did God really say he was going to provide all that I need? Did God really say he was good? Did God really say, say that he was good? Did God really say that he would care for me? Did God really say X Y Z? ABC. Because did God really say, if I think no, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Yeah. I'm going to bet on myself. You have another gospel. Mm-hmm. You've now entered into rejecting Jesus and believing that you can save you. That's the realm, that's the waters you just walked into. Beloved, God has always declared that men and women are righteous, not by their actions, but by faith. Paul could have quoted Habakkuk 2.4. This was in the text. He's going to quote it later. He could have quoted it sooner. Look what it says. This is Old Testament, beloved. That's not what it says. Habakkuk 2.4 here says, but the righteous one will live faith, there we go, that's where it is but the righteous one will live by faith but instead Paul decides to go the route of expounding Abraham's life to these false teachers because Abraham is the very tool that they're using to enslave individuals, so what we're going to do is we're going to actually read Romans chapter 4 where Paul gives a robust theology of this yeah we're going to read the whole chapter beloved, Romans 4, y'all with me? We're looking at the book now. Y'all can't say that I said something. Look what the text say. I'll read it from here. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? This is why we got the verses up here, Beloved. Same trend, right? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Didn't we get that from the book of Genesis? Yeah. Paul's basis for his argument comes all the way back from the writings of Moses in the book of Genesis. Now, the one who works uh, so, oh, sorry. <clears throat> now, to the one who works, pay, uh, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed—the earning of your own redemption but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness because he's believing in the one who justifies. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Even David's talking this stuff. Old Testament saints, this ain't new. Verse seven, blessed is the one whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is the blessing only for the circumcised then? Or it is also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, beloved, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. Y'all see that? See how they confuse the sign of the covenant for the substance of the covenant? Paul's just setting it straight. This was to make, right here, beloved, right here. This was to make him the father of all who believe. Father Abraham had many sons, y'all, but are not circumcised or not of the Jewish heritage physically so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but also follow, the, follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father, Abraham. or oh, the faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith made empty the promise, and the promise nullified. Because the law produces wrath. And and where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, beloved. So that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope. Remember, what was his hope against hope? He was old, his wife was barren. Hoping against hope. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. One more. Right. Here we go. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief. At God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that God that what God had promised, he was also able to do. And that comes by faith, beloved. Look what it says. Verse 22. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. Y'all see that? It's for us, too. The faith that's credited to him is for us, beloved. We get to take, That's a rejoice moment. That's when we say praise God. It's not up to anything else. Yeah. It, will be, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, beloved. Yeah. Turn back to the book of Galatians and pick up where we are. As we continue in the book, it says, you know, then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons, right? There's a distinction being made. Paul is making an argumentation for the spiritual seeds of Abraham, which is me and you. Those who have faith in the son of God are the spiritual children of Abraham. This is how he has many sons. Not just physically, because he literally had many sons, but beloved, recognize Ishmael was not chosen by God, but Isaac was, even though he was a physical descendant of Abraham. Notice that Esau was not chosen by God, but Jacob was, even though he was a physical descendant of Abraham. Beloved, it's not by whom you're a physical descendant of, it's by whom you trust and believe in. Where is the promise going through? Through faith in Jesus, beloved. There's more there. I want to go there. I can't go there right now. It says, you know that, oh, I want to say so many things. He says, How long have I been preaching? It don't matter. You know then that those who have faith, those are Abraham's true sons. Those are Abraham's true seeds, beloved. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Even Jesus... Even Jesus said, don't put your stock in the physical realities of being Abraham's son. Look what he says. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus said this, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. That's right. <laughs> That's Beloved, I'm making this stuff up. This is what the text says. There's more I want to get there. That word Gentiles. Some people in the block are going to say that that means Jewish people who are in a in a, in a Greek state of mind or a heathen state of mind, beloved, it can't be because that Greek word is Hellenistos. That's what you see with the beef between the Hebraic Jews and the 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 Hebraic Jews and the and the um, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the Hellenistic Jews back in back in Acts when they were establishing deacons in chapter six. That's Hellenistos, but this is Ethnos. That means somebody from a completely different people group, whom he justifies by faith, so that Abraham could be the father of many nations. Not one nation spread everywhere, every nation, people from every place, tribe, and tongue. So that the promise of the gospel, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection could be applied to all who have faith in his name. Beloved, we get to trust and believe in this Savior who redeems. The gospel is not the gospel if it needs to be, if, if we need to affect it, if we need to, to, to initiate it or maintain it. And it's not the gospel if it's not for all people who repent and believe. So if there's anybody pushing and puddling anything to you that is not something that that is something that we have to do. False gospel, something that all people cannot take a part of every tribe, tongue and nation. Not because that's what I prefer is because what the scripture says, false gospel run yeah. or defend. Yeah. But don't stand there and eat that. That's poison. We believe in one savior christ crucified redeemed for all who believe and trust in his name that we may flee the wrath to come and be unified as the people of god from every tribe tongue and nation and teach this sick world how that all these different people from all these different backgrounds and all these different political ideologies can gather under one roof and chant one name king jesus it starts with the gospel that's how we impact this world beloved And now we go and do this thing. We take the truth of Galatians 3 and we move. And the power that Jesus supplies. Father, there's so much more in this text that I want to say that we could have said. But the truth is in whatever it is your word has proclaimed to us. And the truth is, Lord, that we are all sons and daughters of abraham if we have put our trust and faith in the person of jesus christ who died for our sins upon that bloody cross two thousand years ago and we give all the praise and glory to you lord jesus for not letting it be up to us because if it was up to me lord jesus as martishay said if it was up to me whoo i would have been lost a long time ago if it was up to me to hold on to you i would have let go a long time ago but the word says that we are in your hands, beloved, not that you're in ours. Help me from fashioning a God in my own image to worship. Help me to believe the truth of what your word has said, what your word has taught. Teach us, O oh Lord. Lead us in truth, Father God, so that we will be ambassadors of truth and ambassadors of the name of Jesus. So that your name be proclaimed among the nations. Lord, I want to see this whole city, impacted by the truth of the gospel. And you sent us to be the representatives. I pray that we don't cower and that we don't shrink, but that we learn and grow in our understanding of who you are and we move forward in the power that you supply because we represent you, O oh King. You filled us with your spirit and now we are told to go. Be glorified in our going. Fill us with your spirit and empower us to do what no man can do. Give, uh, take all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.